everyone. It is Sabra from Hoof Falls and Foot Falls, and I'm going to be going live today to talk about if breakups between participants and a center have to be messy. So what do we do during the whole process of um, you know, potentially having to discharge a student or actually having to discharge a student? Um, I would love to hear if you guys have ever had to um, do a participant discharge of any type. Have you done one? Um, have you not had to do one yet? Are you in the process of one? So love to hear from you guys. And then we'll get rolling here um, in just a minute. And this was actually a topic that was requested by another instructor. So if you guys have any requests for questions that you guys would love to have answered or a topic that you would like talked about during a instructor chat, or maybe a blog post, um, definitely shoot me an email or message me through Facebook. And I would love to hear from you guys and hear what you guys want to hear and want to discuss and talk about. A um, couple housekeeping things here. Uh, I will be referencing a book here at the end of this chat called Crucial Conversations. And I actually have a direct link for you guys to the book and you can purchase it through Amazon. I believe you can even do the tablet version. I'm not sure if it's audiobook, um, but I actually have the print version of it and I really like it. And it has actually been a really helpful tool in having these more, um, you know, difficult and sensitive conversations that can be going on. So I'll drop the comment there um, at the end of this chat here. And then I will also talk about my Black Friday sale that I have going on. Um, I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving week but um, I am running a Black Friday sale on some one-on-one -on -one personalized remote instructor coaching and development. Um, super great way to get some intensive feedback of um, you know, what you're doing really well, how you can improve more and really take your instructing to the next level. And then also um, running sales on the Intuitive Instructor Club membership, the half year and the full year. So I'll put that information in the links as well. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into this topic. So. Discharging participants, um, you know, that is probably a phrase that a lot of instructors really don't like to hear because that kind of, you know, kind of gives us the heebie-jeebies of, oh my gosh, that's going to be a super uncomfortable conversation. Um, you know, I'm going to have to bash someone's hopes and dreams and I'm going to have the family mad at me and, you know, there's going to be crying or they're going to hate me. And so a lot of times we have this fear about discharging a participant from our program um, or maybe shifting them into a different type of lesson format, maybe going from a mounted lesson to a groundwork lesson. Um, and sometimes we'll push that off because we're afraid of the potential conflict that could come up. So I wanted to just kind of talk through um, some tips and techniques that I have learned over the years of doing participant discharges that have gone well and also what I've learned from the ones that have not gone well. I've had those too. So um, even the bad situations we can learn from, and I want to share that information with you guys um, from what went well, what didn't, so that hopefully you guys don't make the same mistakes, or maybe it's just kind of a confirmation that, hey, yeah, I'm on the right track, and good to hear someone else is doing it. So I see a few more people have jumped on live. If you guys want to drop a comment of who you are, where you're from, um, and if you've had a participant discharge before. So the first thing that I would highly recommend to help things go smooth when it comes to participant discharges 
um, whether it's on the recreational side, so adaptive or therapeutic riding, adaptive horsemanship, um, equine assisted learning, or so PTOT speech incorporating equines or mental health incorporating equines. Um, number one tip is to have very transparent and planned out policies. Though that is huge. Um, having your policies written down in your participant participant applications um, and also not just written down because you know I know people don't read them. Heck, when I sign paperwork, I don't read it half the time either. Um, but you know, having those policies written down, and then when you're doing that intake with that person, and then again, you know, maybe that first class that they're going to, going over the policies again of what is your your no show policy, what is your late arrival policy, what is your participant discharge policy, what does that look like if for some reason equine assisted activities or therapies are no longer safe or suitable for that person. I know all of us would love to serve every single person that walks into the doors of our barn or the doors of our center, but unfortunately, equine-assisted activities or therapies are not always a good fit for everyone. Um, and that could be right away, that it's very obvious that it's not a good fit, or it could be something where we enter into this, um, them in, enter them into our program, and maybe there's a precaution, something like a, a yellow warning flag, that we have to keep an eye on and it might develop into what we would call a contraindication for that particular activity or maybe across the board. Um, it also could be something where, um, you know, working with a special needs population, someone might have a diagnosis that changes over the years. Um, and so maybe their height or weight or um, they develop seizures or maybe their skin integrity changes, whatever that might be. Um, you know, it could be something developing. So having very transparent policies that are written and well thought out and you're reminding the families over and over and over again of what your policies are really help. Um, so go over those policies in an intake, go over them in annual updates. Uh, that was something that we implemented probably the last two or three years that I was at the Premier Accredited Center I worked for before. Um, was that we did an annual like back to class week with the families to go over these policies like this so that we could just start fresh, make sure everyone was on the same page and that we were all moving forward with the same understanding of these crucial policies that can get a little intense if everyone's not prepared. Um, so hi, Chris from New Jersey. Thanks for joining in. And hi, Stephanie from Texas. And Stephanie said she was just thinking about this yesterday due to some experiences in the past with clients and parents. Um, yeah, so I'm, you know, this is, you're not alone. <laughs> this is a very common topic for us to talk about. So um, just want to kind of talk about it. Uh, going back to the transparent policies, another thing along that line is I would highly suggest that if you have a policy written and if you have a policy in place, um, that you stick to it don't make exceptions. And I know it's super hard because we want to kind of bend the rules to keep people happy and it's uncomfortable saying no or, you know, no, this is the line. But if you break the rules for one person, you have just compromised the integrity of that entire policy and you might as well just toss it out the window. If you say that your weight limit is 150 pounds, for example, and you, oh, but we really, really like this one rider, and you know, they're 152, it's okay, we'll make it work. 
well, what's your policy? Is it 150 pounds or is it 152? Or maybe you don't take certain students um, with a certain type of diagnosis due to the horses or the equipment or the training or the staff that you have. And if you fudge and say, oh no, we'll make it work for this one person, well, then that opens the door up for everyone else. So when you have these transparent policies um, that are in place and therefore discharging participants, and this applies to any policy really, make sure you are upfront, you talk about it regularly, and you don't make exceptions. Um, practice saying no, it's hard, I am a yes person, and saying no and sticking to policies is something that I really had to work on and still have to be very, um, very conscious about when I'm working with individuals. Uh, when you are going over those policies, make sure that you are upfront as soon as possible with any concerns that you might have. So if someone walks in with a precaution, so you know that yellow warning flag again of a diagnosis, let's say maybe someone has um, seizures and they are they've been controlled for several years, they're on medication, everything's going well, that would be something that I would discuss with the family of, look, if these seizures become uncontrolled and they're unsafe and we're seeing it progress to ABC, this may be reason for us to no longer do mounted work or maybe completely be discharged from equine activities because it is unsafe for this, this, this reason. So just be very clear and kind of be proactive in anticipating things that might be happening with those students. Um, if there's a kind of a concern from the get-go, like in that intake or even in that first lesson, you should talk to that family and that participant right away, be very direct, be very clear, don't beat around the bush to try to guard feelings um, because a lot of times when we try to soften the blow, and again, we can be tactful with our words, but if we try to soften the blow too much, um, they may not understand what we really mean. So being direct, but still being kind and gracious and explaining the what's, how's, and why's is very important when you're being upfront about possible concerns with that participant. So again, um, you know, talking about it with them in the intake, and then even as they are participating in your program, whether it's mounted work or groundwork, um, if, if you, if you're the actual person teaching them um, or the instructor that they're assigned to is teaching them and they're bringing up concerns, you guys need to have that discussion with that family, with that participant right away of, hey, these are some little you know, warning flags going off in my brain as an instructor. Here's why, here's my concern. It's my duty to keep your child safe or you as an adult safe. Um, this is the steps that we're gonna take. So I'm gonna be looking for these three things, for example, um, moving forward, and if these three things happen, we're gonna have to have a very serious sit-down conversation about if this is still a good fit for you. Um, so being upfront as soon as possible, whether it's in the intake or any time during their time in the program is super crucial. And then when you have to have that conversation of, of a concern, um, make sure you are very direct and just give them what's going on, uh, why that is a concern, and then how we might address it. Um, whether that's just charging from the current program that they're in, or maybe they might just need to be moved to a separate program. So maybe they go from mounted work to groundwork. 
that's a very common thing for students that um, you know kind of grow up in a program. They get too heavy, they get too tall for our horses, or maybe too big for our volunteers to safely support them, and maybe we can roll them into a groundwork program. That's definitely an option. Um, you know, there's there's definitely different things that we can do with our students if they're willing to work around it. Uh, when you are talking to these families, whether it's in during the intake or as they are progressing through the program and you know, you're maybe having these discussions about some concerns about maybe having to discharge or change them to a different program, uh, make sure that you document every single conversation, even if it goes well. This was actually something that uh, didn't go well with me a few years ago was um, I, it was a student that had grown up in the program. Um, we had had the conversation with family of, look, these are the, the horses that are available. These are the safety concerns with our volunteers. Um, this is going to be the cutoff. And we set very clear um, guidelines of, you know, this is where we need to discharge this person for mounted work. And unfortunately, this student wasn't suitable for, for groundwork. So it was gonna be a complete severance of, of services there. Um, and the family was very positive. Every single conversation we had, I was thinking, oh no, they're fine, it's great, they're positive, I don't need to write it down, I don't need to have them sign it. Well, when the day finally came where I had to have that conversation of, look, we just um, you know, did an update, checked up on things, and we have crossed our line of when we can, uh, where we can no longer provide services, and things flipped, and it got kind of nasty. Um, and, and I understand, you know, that's very hard when, when we are having to tell someone that we can no longer provide something for their child. You know, parents get defensive and, and rightfully so, you know, whether or not that behavior was acceptable is different, but I can understand, you know, that mama bear instinct coming out. So I'm not bitter at the family or anything. I should, I could have handled things differently. So document everything, even if it goes well, just have them you know, sign it down, sign and date it, just say that, hey, this is part of our policy and procedures. Every time you talk about a, um, you know, a concern or something that may lead to a change in what program they're in or a potential discharge, we just have everyone sign and date. So write down what you talked about, have them sign and date. And then so that if they come back and say, oh, no, you never told me this or no, though, no, it was a different arrangement, you have it in writing um, and do that even if things had gone positive. And then um, something that I highly recommend is that you guys read the book Crucial Conversations. And I'm actually going to drop the link in here to the comments. Um, it goes over kind of like a formula, so to speak, of how we can approach conversations that are more intense and kind of higher stake, so to speak. Uh, and go into them with a better understanding of human psychology and how to um, tactfully handle those conversations and be, and I don't want to be in control of the conversation and not in a bad way, but that we understand how we might emotionally react and how our brain reacts and that we can be a step of kind of our, our natural reaction so that we can hopefully guide that conversation in a more positive and constructive way helpful book. Um, I really, really liked it and I put it into use a lot. And then also I have a lot of people asking, well, okay, I have these participants that I'm not feeling right about that, you know, I think they're over our weight limit or maybe they're 
uh, their diagnosis has progressed and it's getting to where I just don't feel like we can safely serve them anymore, what do I do? I don't have a policy written. So what I would suggest doing is if you need to write policies that are going to impact current students um, or current clients, you know, for the more therapy side of things, be strategic about when you implement those updates. So if you can hold off until when you break for a new program year, I would wait until then. Or if it's like super emergency, wait till a break. Maybe it's like a Christmas or winter break and it's a good chunk of time off and you can use that as like a fresh starting point. Um, implement new policies kind of around that time. And for that, usually what we do um, is that if we have some major policies that are gonna be changing, we'll do a written statement about it and we'll send it out to all the families. And it's usually over, for, for most programs here in Arizona, we take a pretty good chunk of time off in the summer due to the heat. So that's usually when we redo policies here is, is that summer break. Um, we'll type up the policy, send it out, send the what's, how's, the why's for the policies, say that parents can contact us if they have any questions or adult participants can contact, if, contact us if they have questions. And then um, we do that annual back to class refresher meeting where we talk about those policies in person, face to face, um, explain why that's happening and that it's not personal attacks on anyone, but here's where we're going. And then if there are any families that might be directly impacted by that new policy, that is a face-to-face -face conversation that we need to have with those individuals. Don't do an email, don't do a text, don't do a phone call. It needs to be face-to-face -face so that you can um, read body language, see each other's faces, and have the appropriate tone of voice. Um, don't underestimate the power of face-to-face -face conversations, and I know it can get uncomfortable and awkward, but that can really, really help diffuse things is if you do it face-to-face -face versus over the phone and especially email or written because, again, tone can get skewed in, in uh, written things. So um, that's where I've gone wrong in the past, too, is I had done a phone conversation when I should have done a face-to-face -face, or I accidentally did an email or a text even when I thought it wasn't as important as it really was, and I have learned from those. Um, so just uh, be strategic, strategic in updating and implementing those policies, and when you implement them, stick to them, okay? Think about why you're doing it, why it's happening, um, and, and stick to them moving forward, and then maybe reassess in six months to a year and go from there. So um, if you guys have any questions about just charging participants and any of the points I covered, so being transparent on your policies, being upfront, being direct, having alternative ideas for those students, documenting everything, um, the reading reference or you know, a strategic update and when to apply those. You can definitely comment now, shoot me an email, shoot me a message. Um, and if you guys have any tips on making them go well, definitely share them. This is a great way to share tips and techniques with each other. It's not just me, I don't know everything. And then also make sure that you guys check out my Black Friday sale. So if you guys have been thinking about doing remote instructor coaching with me over Zoom, it's a really, really cool way to get some um, continuing education hours. Or if you've been thinking about joining the Intuitive Instructor Club, join now before Friday comes because we have some awesome deals going on. Um, but let me know what you thought about this chat. Feel free to send over 
questions or emails. And if there are any other topics that you want covered in a live instructor chat or in a blog post, definitely um, reach out and share them with me. I'd love to hear from you guys. It really helps me prioritize topics and conversations with everyone um, when I hear from you guys, because there's so many things I want to talk about, but I want to prioritize the things that are important to you. And I just released a new blog post today. It's about um, when cute horse behaviors go bad. So take a look at that. I just dropped the blog post comment um, in, or the blog post link in the comments here. It's also on the Hoofalls and Footfalls page. If you guys want to rewatch this, I will have this available on the Hoofalls and Footfalls Facebook page. And then in about 48 to 72 hours, probably 72 hours because it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, I will have this uploaded on YouTube as long as technology cooperates. And it will also be available on my instructor chat archives on hoofballsandfootballs.com. So please give a little heart, give a like, um, share this, comment on it, even if it's a little wave or a thumbs up. Uh, that helps Facebook know that you guys like seeing these things and it helps get these videos out to more in uh, instructors. Oh, here is someone with a question. So Chris says, I have a question. I heard that some programs release a student from a program if they don't progress. What are your thoughts? Okay, good question. So I'm assuming that that is probably a program that is providing either adaptive or therapeutic. Um, I'm on the adaptive bandwagon, if you want to know why, I have blog posts on that. Um, but adaptive or therapeutic writing programs are end goal as therapeutic certified therapeutic riding instructors is to teach an equine skill or a horsemanship skill or a riding skill. It's got to be riding skill geared. So if there is a participant who had started in our program and they are not progressing um, so that they are not able to learn some type of riding skill, whether it's improving their overall posture, improving how they hold the reins, improving how they maybe cue the horse to move, whether that's a tap or a verbal cue, um, that might be a reason for them to feel that they are no longer able to appropriately provide services because it might be crossing over into that line of therapy. So they may discharge a participant fully if they cannot refer them into hippotherapy. So like PT, OT, or speech therapy involving horses um, because they might feel that they're more kind of treading on the lines of therapy if that participant is unable to make some type of little progress through riding skills. I have a student right now though that um, progress is really slow. She's been riding with me for about six months. We are where we are doing walk-ons and where she is holding her reins and that's it. Um, those are still riding skills to me and she's still improving in her posture and alignment. But if we were doing anything less than that, I would have to see if, if adaptive riding was truly a good fit or if she really needed more therapy services and that's what the parents were wanting. Um, so really good question, Chris. I, I like that. Um, so Stephanie said, so excited for the Black Friday sales. Yeah, and Stephanie did some remote instructor coaching with me too. So she knows how the whole Zoom stuff works. A question just came in. Stephanie said, would I be willing to share a sample policy and parent behavior? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a fun one. Um, so yes, I will work on a blog that kind of summarizes these points I talked about. And then I can also share a sample policy. 
Um, base, it's, it's a pretty open-ended policy as far as, you know, we, we reserve the right to um, discharge a participant from our program if they do not, um, if their weight or height becomes unsafe to serve due to the horses, the tack, or the volunteers and support we have available. And then also that um, we follow the PATH International Precautions and Contraindications Manual and that if anything arises where something becomes a precaution or a contraindication or we feel like we are not appropriately equipped to safely serve that person, then it may be um, uh, terms for dismissal. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, but I can definitely share the wording. A lot of it came from that face-to-face -face explanation of that kind of broad policy. But yeah, good question. I will work on that. Thank you for putting that on there, Stephanie. Truly appreciate that. And then parent behavior, um, that's that's a tough one. Uh, that's really tough. Um, you know, that could be if, if a parent's causing trouble and they are harassing or they are being mean to another instructor, um, that could be terms for dismissal to have like, look, you're not happy here. No one's happy here. Um, can we make it work? Or do you maybe need to find somewhere else to go? So, you know, I would not tolerate bullying or um, demeaning of the instructors that work at the program I was at. Um, I don't tolerate that personally. And so uh, it's, you know, it's taken me years to where I can have that conversation with someone, um, you know, being that confident and that comfortable. But it gets to the point of like, look, you're coming off as not happy. You're coming off as kind of being mean. Um, you know, that's not the culture that we want here. That's not the behavior that we want here. So. Can we work through this? Um, you know, why are you maybe feeling this way? Or why do you feel like you have to interact with the instructors this way? Can we move past this? Or is this maybe just not a good fit? And let's maybe part ways. So yeah, I'm definitely um, a pretty straightforward person. Um, I get, you know, seen as mean sometimes, but I'm just, I'm upfront. I speak what's on my mind, um, but I really try to explain why why that's going on. Um, and being upfront is really helpful when you're having those conversations. Uh, Gretchen said, oh, dismissal based on attendance. Good one. No, I haven't talked about it yet. So um, dismissal based on attendance. Yes, uh, that was actually a to evolve over the few years. Um, so the way that it worked, and I can actually provide the policy in that blog post too. I will make a note of that, Gretchen. Um, but what it was is that if there was, if someone missed a class, they did not get a credit, they did not get a refund. Um, and that was because they were paying for their spot to be held, whether or not they chose to attend. Now we did have a family, like they got in a massive car accident and, you know, there was hospital transports and everything. So like that, a little bit of grace was given there and we gave them a credit. But for the most part, even if you're sick, if you are um, if you're out of town and you choose to go on vacation during a lesson, um, you basically ate that money. And then um, if you missed m two or more classes in a session, which was five to six weeks, we would have a discussion of, hey, what's going on? Is this day working for you guys? Is the time maybe bad and you're like rushing from school to get here and you guys are always late um, or is it just a bad day and you guys have a therapy that's happening right afterwards um, you know what's going on because sometimes parents are so afraid to say that something's up that that and that time isn't working 
um, that they just don't show up. So um, two or more absences in a session, so five or six weeks, was means for um, having discussion to see if we could work it out. Maybe we needed to move days. Um, maybe they just needed to be reminded of it. Um, and then if it continued to be a chronic problem, so that following session, um, two or more absences again, we would have a sit down and say, look, we either need to do a different day or time if it's available, or our program is just not working out and it's not a good fit for, for you. Even if you're paying for it, that's not right of us to just keep taking your money. Um, we are here to serve people and face to face and not just hold a spot for someone because you know we're booking volunteers we're planning out horses we're planning out tech um so that was kind of our dismissal policy based on attendance um that was something that we had to do a strategic implementation of that policy because it was something that we had evolved probably about five or six years into my time at that program. So that was one of those ones where I had to practice that strategic implementation. Um, and it took parents a little while to get used to it, but overall, people really liked it because they saw better results. They knew that we were holding them accountable. They knew that we had their best interests in mind of, look, we really want you to progress. We want, yes, we need you to pay for your sessions, but we don't just wanna take your money. That's not what we're here for. Um, so good question there, Gretchen, on dismissal based on attendance. And I'll, I can throw a sample of that policy in there too. And that is actually a whole nother, a whole nother conversation on um, attendance and credits and um, refunds or rescheduling and kind of, um, I worked at a large center where we had, you know, 100 to 120 individuals coming through a week and we had a massively reformat our attendance and credit and everything policy um, because of the growth and because of uh, chronic patterns we were seeing from participants. All right, um, so Gretchen said, good info, we need help with attendance improvement and really getting families to understand. Yeah, so I actually, I might make that um, my next instructor chat, so thank you for asking that question. And I can talk about what we used to do at the center and then what we did um, when we did the massive kind of overhaul in the policies. And I wanna say our numbers, um, we ended up saving the center about eight grand in a year once we implemented these new policies. Um, and also everyone started actually making more progress because they were showing up less. Uh, so it's, it's just a culture thing and, um, you know, again, setting a high standard for even those that are participating in your program of understanding what you as the center or you as the instructor expect from them. Um, and it, you don't have to be mean about it, but just, you know, hold each other accountable. They expect certain stuff from you. You expect certain stuff from them as participants. So totally fine. All right. Any questions? Good questions, guys. Thank you guys for asking. If you're watching on a replay, something comes up in your brain after this is over you can still comment or send me an email saber.p at hooffallsandfootfalls.com or shoot me a message through messenger on the hooffalls and footfalls page happy thanksgiving thank you chris thank you gretchen thank you stephanie for joining in live thank you to other people who i maybe didn't know joined in live but thanks for watching and have a wonderful thanksgiving bye guys